Every house is like a book. The front door opens to reveal hundreds of pages of history. Maybe it's the entire history of a single family through generations. Or maybe it's dozens of different families connected only by those walls that give them a home for a handful of years. Sometimes it's the history of a business, a fabric, a school, or any other kind of place that made a mark in people's lives throughout history. However, there are very special cases when the front door of a house, very much like a book that shouldn't be seen by a mortal's eyes, should be kept closed, locked, restricted forever, if not destroyed and burned until it is nothing but ashes. Such is the story of number 50 of Barclay Square. This building in London has a story that is long, troubling, and oftentimes confusing. There are many versions of the story, many ways to deny its truth, and many reasons to fear that house. Regardless of minor changes here and there, everyone that talks about Barclay Square can agree on one thing. The house is haunted. It might be the entire building, or just a room, the second floor, or the attic. Maybe it's haunted by a ghost, a monster, a creature from another dimension, or something our minds aren't ready to understand. Who's to say what's the truth and what's impossible? After all, if ghosts are real, in a city as old as London where people have died in every possible corner throughout the centuries, Barclay Square is as good a place to be haunted as any other. And if there are really creatures out there lurking in the shadows of our world and defying the laws of nature that we thought we knew, aren't the sewers of London, the shady streets and the old houses like Number 50 just the perfect place to find a home? And, most importantly, a substantial meal? It's tough to pinpoint the exact start of the Barclay Square legend and the correct number of victims that its nameless thing has claimed over the years. We are talking about a building that has carried a reputation of mystery and terror for close to 200 years. Still, the first remarkable case dates all the way back to the early 1940s and to a man named Sir Robert Warboyce. Now, Sir Robert Warboys was a skeptic. He was the type of man that walked with his head held high and without flinching at the promise of danger, at unsavory tales, or at dark hallways. But his courage couldn't last him forever. One night, by pure chance, Sir Robert Warboys just happened to hear something about the sinister reputation of Number 50 of Barclay Square. That was the moment everything changed for him. Like an unstoppable chain reaction, Robert's curiosity sparked his pride and then his arrogance. The result was that this man boldly took the dare to spend one night on the second floor of that infamous house in Barclay Square. As soon as Sir Robert Warboys arrived at the house, he was able to confirm that the legend wasn't just light-hearted comments from strangers in a bar. The actual owner of the house prevented him from staying in that room, and he said he avoided it himself as much as he could. In fact, that man didn't agree to let Warboy stay on the property until they agreed that the visitor should have a pistol with him 
and promised to pull on a string that would ring a bell downstairs that would alert the landlord of any problem. When the agreement was made, Robert stayed upstairs, confident as ever, while the landlord reluctantly went back to his room. The suspense increased with every second, and time seemed to stretch abnormally slow, until the old landlord inevitably fell asleep. And that's when time stopped moving. When he awoke again, everything started happening too fast. In fact, tragedy struck all at once. Not even an hour had passed since the landlord left the visitor alone upstairs. But he was woken up by a frantic ringing of a bell. The landlord woke up groggily trying to make sense of that violent sound. That's when he heard the gunshot. This shook him awake and sent him running out of his room and up the stairs to check on the man staying in the haunted quarters. But it was too late. The landlord found Sir Robert Warboy's lifeless body contorted against one corner of the room, pressed so tightly to the wall as if he could have broken through and escaped his deadly fate. Warboy's rapidly cooling hands were clutching the pistol with inhuman strength, and it wouldn't be easy to pry the weapon from his dead fingers. But the most horrible part was his face. His face was deformed by an expression of utter and extreme fear, something unlike anything the witness had ever seen or heard before. His eyes were so wide, they looked like they would pop out of their sockets. His jaw clenched tightly shut, his lips pulled back into a horrible grimace, and the tendons of his neck froze in a painfully tense state. The problem was, the landlord didn't even know what even killed Sir Robert Warboys. There was no blood, nobody else in the room, and nothing but his contorted face of terror to explain that he probably died of fear. Fear of what exactly is the question? Well, the landlord remembered the gunshot he heard and approached the wall on the other side of the room where he found the mark left by the bullet from Warboy's pistol. There was absolutely no sign of what he possibly shot at, except, except for a very confusing substance that the landlord found. He had stepped on it when he got close to the gunshot on the wall, and he could have sworn there was some of it around the place where the bullet went through. Something viscous, a dark liquid that didn't look natural or familiar at all. There was a trail of it near the bathroom as well, but the landlord couldn't take any more suspense. He didn't want to risk his life like the foolish man that lay lifeless on the floor. He rushed out of there to contact the police and put an end to this chapter of the story. That was the end of Sir Robert Warboy's but only the beginning of house number 50 of Barclay Square. Gossip and rumours spread like wildfire, and the house's reputation was dragged through the mud. The most interesting part was that this wasn't exclusively because of Warboy's demise. Before and after this terrible incident, there were countless reports of neighbours complaining about strange noises coming from that house. 
The reports were so varied. Accounts of screams, things breaking, heavy weights dragged along the floor, thumps along the ceiling, whispers, and indescribable sounds that more often than not were compared with animals in agony. The next unfortunate story that stands out in the long history of Barclay Square is about two unlucky sailors that had no idea what kind of trap they were setting foot in. The date of the incident varies between 1843 and 1887, but they are often addressed as Robert Martin and Edward Blunden. According to the legend, Robert and Edward walked along the streets of London one night, terribly drunk and without a penny to spend finding a safe place to sleep. This, unfortunately, led them to the door of Barclay Square, which, at that moment, was empty. Or at least without any actual person living in it. Who knew what other kind of presence could be found within its walls? The pair of sailors thought they had found the perfect place to spend the night, or at least somewhere free, not knowing the price they would have to pay for the risk they were about to take. They broke into the house as quietly as possible. The years hadn't been kind to number 50 of Barclay Square. It had always stood in questionable conditions. Nobody dared care too much about an allegedly haunted house. But the lack of a human presence meant that the inside of the house was full of trash, unexplainable puddles, and of course, one too many infestations such as rats and cockroaches. This led Robert and Edward to inspect the upper floor, and at the moment they misguidedly thought they were lucky, they found it empty, sufficiently clean, and apparently safe enough. They couldn't have been more wrong. The sailors, as they were starting to sober up, started noticing a strange feeling about the house. It felt unnaturally cold, not just abandoned, but a hated place. And, worst of all, they didn't feel quite alone in that house. The windows were boarded up, and they couldn't tell how it would keep people from breaking in if they were on the second floor. They didn't think it might have been to stop something from breaking out of the house. Despite the numerous bad omens, Robert and Edward were just too exhausted and drunk to leave the house and keep searching for a place to spend the night. They had a roof over their heads and a door closed behind them, and they felt safe enough to fall asleep right there on the floor. It was a very short-lived rest, though. Their smell, their warmth and the steady sound of their breathing must have attracted some company. At first, it was a quiet sound, slow and difficult to describe. Maybe it came from the walls or from downstairs. It only slightly disturbed their sleep. But the sounds persisted. They grew louder, irregular, stranger. Robert was the first one to wake up, slowly at first, unsure of what even woke him from his slumber, until he heard the door of the bathroom slowly creaking open. The sound chilled him to the bones. He had been so certain they were completely alone in the house. With the windows boarded up, there wasn't a chance it was a breeze that pushed open the door. 
Quickly, Robert gave a shove to his friend to wake him up. Edward woke up startled, instinctively angry, until he regained his senses. He wasn't completely sober, but he could read the expression of terror on his friend's face. He could hear the door opening up, and he could hear the floorboards creaking under the weight of someone, or something, approaching them. That wasn't all. In the darkness, they had to pay extra attention to the sounds. And that was how they were able to describe the dripping sound coming from behind them. Steady drops falling on the floor. And then something even more unexpected. Those weren't footsteps approaching them. It was something slower, but also heavier. Like a body crawling on the floor. But not just a regular body. They could only picture someone completely drenched in water, just soaked from head to toe, dragging their soggy clothes along the puddle they made on the floor. Well, at least at that moment they chose to believe it was a person. The sailors had no idea what to do or how to react. They waited for just another second to see what would happen. Just when Edward opened his mouth to whisper an idea to his friend, whatever he was about to say was interrupted by a piercing loud scream ripping from his throat. Robert couldn't help but scream too and pull away from his friend. He couldn't see anything, and he didn't know why Edward was screaming. But then he saw the way that, without Edward willingly moving a muscle, he was yanked backward a full foot towards the door. He continued to scream, and he tried to fight it. But an unknown force had caught him and was dragging him backward. Robert tried to help. He swore he tried to help. But when he reached a hand out for his friend, he only caught a disgusting and slimy black sludge on the floor. He flinched backward, just in time to see his friend was already too far away. And there was such a large and ominous dark figure behind him that all Robert could do was jump to his feet stumbled toward the door and run for his life. The journey from that cursed room to the front door felt eternal. With every step, Robert thought he felt invisible limbs reaching out for him, grazing his neck, just a breath away from catching him. He stumbled through the front door, and when he fell down, he crawled for a few feet until he was able to stand upright again. He ran down the street like a madman, unsure of what to do or where to go. But he had good luck for the first time that night, and he saw a police patrol in the distance, so he quickly approached them. Getting the police to listen to him and actually follow him back to the house wasn't easy. Robert was almost immediately dismissed as a drunk man talking nonsense, but something about the exact area got the attention of the policeman, so they followed him back to Barclay Square. Where? They couldn't find Edward's body. It was impossible. It didn't make sense. There were dirty puddles in the room, but Robert only cared about his friend. While the police searched the rest of the house, Robert started to hope that his dear friend had managed to escape and was somewhere outside looking for him. That was when he heard the police officer scream. It was such a strange and unexpected noise not just for a man of his size and profession, but because the sound was so utterly distraught that Robert and the other officer shivered upon hearing it. 
They rushed downstairs in search of the first officer. They found him climbing the steps from the basement, looking like he had just seen a ghost. It turned out it was even worse than that. Edward Blunden's body lay at the bottom of the stairs. He didn't look as if he had tripped and fallen accidentally down the stairs. What reason could he have possibly had to go down to the basement? He looked as if he had been discarded as an unfinished meal in the trash. His limbs were broken and twisted into impossible angles. The blood and the inexplicably gooey substance pulled around him. One of the officers rushed out of the house to call for backup. But Robert had to know. He had to see for himself. He moved closer to the corpse of his friend and saw not only the expression of extraordinary fear that contorted Edward's face the moment he died, but also the unmistakable marks of a tentacle sucker. Another infamous death in the number 50 of Barclay Square. The rumours about the house's condition did nothing but increase. The mystery surrounding the house was a tangled web where the truth evaded everyone, but the trail of horror was more than enough to scare away anyone that got too close. On top of the never-ending complaints from the neighbours, it became obvious that anyone that dared to try to inhabit that house never stayed for too long, never really used the second floor, and never offered a reasonable explanation for the claw marks along the floors, the bullet hole in the wall, the dark liquid that oozed from the cracks in the walls, the gurgling sounds from the pipes, and their hasty exits from that building. Perhaps the mystery of the nameless thing of Barclay Square would never be solved, but the numerous victims, the destruction of the house, and the inherent horror they'd inspired for years and years will never be erased from history. This story was written by Danny Rangel Nieto and narrated by me, James Deverell. Thank you for listening to this story. If you enjoyed my storytelling, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast for more Tales of High Strangeness. I started this podcast off the back of my YouTube channel by the same name, which formerly went by Mr. Sinister. You can check out my older stories, which are still available on that channel. For short-form content, you can follow me on Instagram and Facebook via the handle at Tales of High Strangeness. For exclusive access to behind-the-scenes content plus more, check out my Patreon account. If you or anyone else you know has a story about anything related to high strangeness, please reach out to me with a brief description to stories at daredeverell.com. I don't need you to write the whole story, so you don't need to worry about being an English major. We'll be doing all the writing. You'll just need to be willing to jump on a call with me so we can have a chat and I can get the whole story. Thanks again for listening.